1045 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. It is raining. I'm seeing animals walking two by two down the streets of the Music City right now. Wherever you are, I bet you're in a car. And I bet you're not moving very fast. And I bet you're taking extra precautions. So I'm going to do what I can to make the next hour worth your time in case your commute home is a little bit longer than usual. My name is Jason Martin. I am on Twitter at jmartzone. I am blessed beyond measure, more so than ever, as I am behind this microphone, and I hope you recognize that you are too. 615-737-1045. 737-1045 is how to reach this program tonight. Coming up, we're going to spend a couple of segments with my good friend Trey Wallace from down in Knoxville. He's got strep throat, but he's going to do this show anyway. And We're going to talk about National Signing Day and what the Vols were able to pull off today what Jeremy Pruitt was able to pull off today. And actually, I'm going to talk about that here momentarily. A lot of Vols talk tonight. And we're going to talk about the Hoopsters. Another win last night, beat Missouri. Thought Chad Withrow's tweet is kind of a good jump-off point to talk about basketball, just the idea that they beat Missouri 72-60 to and it felt like sort of a lackluster performance. That's what Rick Barnes has quickly been able to build with this veteran team that's just so deep and plays so hard for one another that they win by 12 and you're just kind of like, eh, you know, another day at the office. That's very, very impressive. So we're going to spend some time with Trey Wallace. We'll talk some Art Bryles as well. And I'm going to talk to you about an upcoming podcast series for the Pop 6, which I think you're all really going to like. So there's plenty to stick around for tonight. But there's good, bad, and ugly that you can always go to. But there's a lot of good right now wearing Vol Orange after Darnell Wright said yes to Tennessee, five-star guy, best offensive tackle in the country, out of West Virginia. He would love to play left tackle. That's the glamour position. That's the one that gets all the notoriety, if any do, on the offensive line in the NFL, Taylor Dewan, all those guys that play left tackle. It's an incredibly important position. Right tackle a lot of time gets overlooked. And... Darnell Wright wants to play left tackle, may end up at right tackle. Now, he's a big dude. Maybe a few pounds too big in terms of bad mass, but they'll get that off him. Conditioning program at Tennessee, that's something Jeremy Pruitt is very, very tough on. But this guy is 6'6", 315. I have told this anecdote before, as have many others on this station, of Jeremy Pruitt at spring practice last year, standing next to Philip Fulmer and asking him, all right, where are my big guys at? And Philip's like, "Uh, they're all out here, my man. No, seriously, I'm in the guys for the trenches. Like, where, where are my big boys at? And they're all out there. Throwing out like 270-pound guys. Well, this dude is 6'6", 315. Huge. And he's probably going to have to tone down and get rid of some of that bad fat. But he's got all the skills that you want. And that's not the only guy they got. But Wright was sort of the crown jewel on Jeremy Pruitt's Infinity Gauntlet. And that, if you are scoring at home, which you should be, is now twice in three shows this week that I have referenced Thanos, which I guess means I'm just totally geeked up for Endgame in a couple of months. 
Let's go to the audio here. Ryan Albanese is my producer, doing a great job as always behind the glass, spinning the Dallas radio style. If you call to tune in or to check in with us tonight at 615-737-1045, he is the gatekeeper. But here's what Darnell Wright had to say when he was asked on ESPN, why Tennessee? I just felt as though it was a good fit for me, uh, not just through football, but through everything academically. Um, I had a good relationship with all the coaches. Uh, all the people, tr- they treated me well, and they treated me um, as, a, as a real person. You visited Tennessee last weekend. What was it about the visit that, that stood out to you? Um, it, was just, it was just a family feeling of going there. Uh, Everybody there is kind of, they're welcoming. I don't know if that's, it's a Southern thing, but it's just, that's just how it is and how it was. Uh, it just felt comfortable. You're an Under Armour uh, All-American, and that week you spent some time there with Wanye Morris, who's another five-star offensive tackle. He's headed, he's at Tennessee right now. What were those conversations like about joining forces with him on that offensive line in Tennessee? Yeah, Wanye, Wanye's the homie. Uh, we, I don't know, we don't really talk about much, uh, it turns to playing together. We just kind of kick it as homies. So. Kick it as homies. Darnell Wright. And what he said there actually is interesting because I remember during the regular season, Joey Kent and I on the Tennessee tailgate show when we had T. Martin on, Joey talked to T. for a couple of minutes about, look, T. Martin was probably going to school somewhere in Alabama, came up and visited Knoxville, and Joey was the guy that showed him around. And many of those stories, Joey did not even tell me off air, but when he asked T about it on air, T just started laughing uproariously. So honestly, that whole, we just kick it thing is actually good in terms of a team building. You don't have to sit around and talk business all the time. I could go to, you know, dinner with somebody else in radio and not talk about radio and that would be all right. You know, sometimes you actually want to leave the office behind. They'll have plenty of time to talk shop. But the idea that you know there is a relationship there where they can, quote, kick it, unquote, isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the bad thing, we knew this already, was that Tennessee's offensive line was their problem last year. Now, not their only problem, but probably the most glaring of several issues for that five-win team last year. Looking at almost every one of the championship-level teams this decade in college football, maybe nothing was more crucial outside of probably a playmaking quarterback to some extent. But even that, actually, I'm probably about to speak against that point. The offensive line was crucial. Alabama is the best example of it because there's the storyline that always surrounds Crimson Tide backs in the NFL in how they don't have that dominant a line in front of them. Now, even though they've got pros in front of them, there are pros against them as well. So the difference between the defensive line and those Alabama offensive lines sometimes changes a little bit. Whoever you've got in front of you isn't going to be maybe quite as dominant as they were in college. But without that space to run through, without someone parting the Red Sea for them, all of a sudden the Eddie Lacy's of the world, the TJ Yeldon's of the world, the Kenyon Drake's of the world, they're having to work a lot harder than they were before that point. That Alabama dynasty was not built on the quarterback position. We know that. Now we're seeing Tua. But for a long time, the one thing that you knew about Alabama was, all right, they're going to get a game-managing quarterback that can make a couple of throws. They're not going to have a kicker. They're going to have an unbelievable offensive line that almost anybody could run behind. I say almost because I'm not really that fleet of foot. I run about a 10-minute mile. But the dynasty for Nick Saban, and of course he had great players all over the field. But how about these names? How many times did you hear these names 
when you were watching Alabama football over the last 10, 15 years. Chance Warmack, Terrence Cody, Barrett Jones, DJ Fluker, Ryan Kelly, Cyrus Quanjo, Andre Smith. In recent years, you got Cam Robinson and Deron Payne. Now, as talented as some of these receivers have been coming out, that we certainly know about these tight ends that have come out, these guys in the secondary, these guys up front, the A'shaun Robinsons, the offensive line has done so much for Nick Saban because he has enabled, because of the offensive line, his team is enabled to run the football, control the clock, and just suck the soul out of everybody that Alabama is playing. That, the offensive line, is how you ensure your house is being built on solid ground and not on sand. So the two problems for Tennessee last year, the biggest two, the offensive line and a conservative play-calling scheme that seemed more intent on playing into the defense's hands. The Tennessee offense far too often looked like Sean McVay on Sunday playing into Brian Flores and Bill Belichick, who just had him out-schemed. He came in with the exact same thing, and he ran it right into the teeth of them, and they chewed him up. And we saw that over and over again. There are guys with speed like Ty Chandler. There are guys with great hands down the field, Palmer and Callaway and all these guys. And we just did not see them used enough, sometimes because the offensive line could not create enough time for Jarrett Garantano to go through his progressions or for guys to create separation down the field. I was just kind of doing some research earlier looking at offensive linemen in the NFL right now. And looking at all the SEC schools, LSU's got eight, Florida's got six, Bama's got five, A&M and Auburn have four, Georgia also has four, Tennessee has four, Vanderbilt's got two, Arkansas's got two, South Carolina and Ole Miss have three apiece, Mississippi State, Missouri, Kentucky, all with one. And when I was looking past the Tennessee deal, I'm like, oh, okay, well, four, that's kind of middle of the road in the SEC. But those four guys, round six last year, Khalil McKenzie, Ramon Foster's in his 10th year in the league. Zach Fulton was a sixth rounder back in 2014. And then you got Juwan James, who, of course, was a stud back in 2014. So outside of McKenzie, last year at around pick 198, nothing wearing a power T on the offensive line on the current NFL roster, certainly in any kind of a key position since 2014. And if you look at some of these other guys and these other teams, you can look at them and say, okay, well, that team could run the ball. Oh, there's eight offensive linemen from LSU. Of course they could run the ball. Even Joe Burrow could run the ball. Florida, they haven't had a quarterback in I don't know how long. Six. Alabama, of course they've got five. I thought they would have more than that. But you have to have an offensive line to succeed, especially in the SEC. I talked to Jeff Schwartz, who played on the offensive line in the NFL for eight years, my usual tag team partner when we're filling in on Fox Sports Radio nationally. And I tried to make the argument to him. And it's awesome when you make an argument to a guy that played the position that you're trying to argue. And so he can just kind of put you in your place really quickly, which he did with me. I said, you know, the difference between playing on the offensive line in the SEC and playing on the offensive line in like Conference USA, for example, or, or a smaller conference, the MAC, is the size of the guys on 
the offensive line, the defensive line, the guys in the trenches, the size is different. He says, you know what? It's not really the size. Smaller guys can still get the job done. The difference is really in the footwork. It's how you move your feet that proves what an athlete you can be at that position. And so the first thing that I looked at when I saw Darnell Wright in his scouting report was his high school coach says he has elite feet. When you think of elite feet, you're thinking Tyreek Hill or Chris Johnson or John Ross. You don't usually think of offensive linemen, but maybe you should. When I start watching film, I say that like I'm a coach. But when I'm watching games, I'm actually going to try and pay more attention to the feet of the offensive lineman and try to learn something. Darnell Wright, five-star, great feet, big. All of that sounds really good. You should be hopeful. There are some negatives. Look, it was still seventh in the SEC, even though it was a top 15 class. The SEC still the SEC. But Jeremy Pruitt lands a white whale. Up next, we will go down to Knoxville and talk about this and everything else surrounding National Signing Day Plus, Vols Hoops, still only one loss. Trey Wallace, my good buddy, checks in next. Big Six rolls along here on 104.5 The Zone. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Welcome back in. A rainy, rainy Wednesday here in the Music City. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Make sure you follow me there. Our telephone number tonight and every night, 615-737-1045. 737-1045. Time to bring in my good friend, and he is playing hurt right now, but he's out here doing it anyway. He's got strep throat, and he's down in Knoxville, but there's a lot of things happening in that area of the state, and I guess the nation is paying attention as well. So I bring in Trey Wallace of It's Optional, my pal. Trey, I would ask how you're doing, but I know you're not doing well, but I appreciate you giving me a couple of minutes today anyway. Man, absolutely, buddy. I, I wouldn't miss out on this, and it's been a crazy enough day anyway, so I can just deal with strep throat and get everything out at the same time, brother. Yeah, so <laughs> I laid out in the first segment a couple of different things. We'll talk about hoops a bit, but we've got to start with the the football program and Jeremy Pruitt. And, and what we all saw last year was the offensive line struggled and then you looked at the way that plays were called. It wasn't aggressive enough, and it seemed like Tyson Helton was playing into the teeth of defenses as opposed to trying to expose them. We saw perfect examples of how even smart offensive minds like Sean McVay can do the exact same thing in the face of a talented defense like Bill Belichick. Well, the SEC has a lot of talented defenses, so you need a coordinator that can get the job done, but you also need somebody that can keep your quarterback upright. So the offensive line was so woeful over not just last year, the last couple of years, that when you take a look at what this team, what this school was able to accomplish today at the tail end of National Signing Day, man, I I don't have anything else to say except that there sure should be a lot of hope right now about where this offensive line could go. No, I agree. When you have an offensive line that Tennessee's built up, so, you know, you, you added Juan Ye. Tennessee signed five offensive linemen in this class, but, but, but you have Juan Ye and, and you're kind of fiddling around. You're waiting for this second, you know, national signing day, which, by the way, just takes the fun out of uh, everything because yeah. everything really goes down in December. So it's just, you know, it, it is what it is. But, you know, Tennessee, the worst kept secret, I think, in Knoxville over the last week, you know, they add Darnell Wright. And, and what this does is you add two top five offensive linemen uh, to your roster immediately and two guys that I think are, are going to be able to contribute immediately. They're going to get, you know, the spring practice. They'll be able to, 
to be involved in the in the strength and conditioning, go through the summer workouts, and then be ready to go uh, with with a with an offensive line that was lacking last year and, and just giving up too many hits on the quarterback. And some of it had to do with scheme, I think, but some of it just had to do with the ability. Uh, you're, you're also getting back a Brandon Kennedy, uh, who's coming off a uh, torn right. ACL. I just, I just think personally, what Jeremy Pruitt has been able to do with this recruiting class, especially when it comes to the offensive line, you're building a foundation, Jason. And if you're going to build a foundation, you've got to start on the offensive line, and you've seen that. And every other stop he's been at, either Georgia, Alabama, or Florida State, you see how well that they do when it comes to offensive line signing. So it's a big day for him. Uh, I think this is going to go a long way in what Tennessee's trying to do over the next three to four years. And if he can pull off a class like this, coming off a five and seven season, I'd hate to see what he can do coming off, let's say, a nine and three, eight and four type season. Yeah, you know, you made a really good point there, and it was the same thing that I was thinking about. My good buddy is uh, a Jeff Schwartz, who played on the offensive line in the NFL for eight years, lives down in Charlotte, and he always talks about because I say, man, the difference is the size of the guys in the trenches. That's the difference between the SEC, for example, and Conference USA. And he said it's not really the size; it's the technique, and it's most importantly how well they move their feet on the offensive and defensive line that shows how athletic and how aware and just how dominant those guys can be. And when you look at Alabama, where did this Alabama dominance come from? Well, it came from not making mistakes, taking advantage of mistakes on the opposite side when it comes to defense and special teams, but really it came from the offensive line because we've seen a whole lot of backs come out of Alabama, get to the NFL, and then not have the same success because they don't have the chance Warmack that played at Alabama. They have the chance Warmack that's playing for the Tennessee Titans. So when you look at Jeremy Pruitt, and what he's trying to do, to me, this is exactly what he needed to do. Not just because it was a weakness last year, but because if you have a good offensive line, you are really setting yourself up for success, especially in a league like the SEC. Well, and I agree, and especially with the running backs that Tennessee has and the receivers and the quarterback situation that they'll have coming in over the next three to four years, you've got to build that up. And it's something that, look, Tennessee went through that stage a few years ago where you're not bringing any offensive linemen in. You know, maybe maybe one or two. But the fact that they go out and get five in this class and knowing that they have to, because they do actually have some talent when it comes to offensive linemen that are on the roster right now from last year, guys that are just going to have to get better. I can, you know, like a, like a Jerome Carvin type player. You know, that's somebody that they can build in to be a better player. I think when it comes down to it and what Tennessee is going to have to look forward to and their fans is that I think they'll have a reliable or at least, you know, uh, going at it, a stagnant offensive line in a sense of, okay, this is who we're going to put out there. This is who we're going to have every single week, barring an injury, and we're not going to be flip-flopping three to four different positions during the year anymore. So when you have players like that, that you know that you can count on, uh, that, that's a big-time situation for Jeremy Pruitt to build on. And, and I think that's something that has been desperately missing at Tennessee. I can't tell you how many years it's been since Tennessee has had an offensive line that they could trot out there that you knew that they played last week, and these are guys that, that Tennessee fans in the stands or whatever are not having to Google during the first quarter to figure out who they are. 
and, and you're not trotting out a 270-pound offensive lineman in the SEC that you know you're going to get beat up on. And, and with the running backs, like I said, that Tennessee has, you know, with Crouch coming in and what they have returning, and especially the wide receivers, to be able to give that quarterback that much more time to figure out what the defense is doing and for him to make plays, it's going to go a very long ways. And, and you know, back in the old days, Tennessee was, okay, we're starting on the offensive line, then we'll move to linebacker, defensive line, and go from there. And I, I think you've seen that Jeremy Pruitt is starting to get that philosophy where if we're going to win in the trenches, we have got to do it with a big offensive line in an athletic group. Yeah, well, there was that story about him standing next to Philip Fulmer in the first practice during the spring last year and basically saying, all right, where are my big guys? And right. Fulmer's like, no, they're all out here, bro. And he's like, no, 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 seriously, like my hog malls. Like, where are these guys? He's like, no, they're all out here. And then Pruitt just kind of sighed. Well, you talked about 270-pound guys. Well, in this case, Darnell Wright, 6'6", 315. Now, some of that is some weight he's going to need to lose. It's what they call bad weight. But looking at what his head coach has said from Huntington High in West Virginia – and what some other people that have scouted him have said is, he's got very good feet. That stands out to me because of what I was talking about with Jeff. He's long. Uh, he wants to play left tackle because that's the glamour position. Looks like he probably ends up maybe at right tackle. Right tackle sometimes gets left by the wayside, but is incredibly important. I just look at that, and there are other guys, and, and you can mention others that stand out. Certainly there were some really big names. But Darnell Wright said no to Alabama. He said no to Georgia. He said no to Clemson. These are all schools that came after him. Said no to Ohio State. Said yes to Jeremy Pruitt. And when you look at a team that has struggled, a school that has struggled for the last you know half decade, decade or more, for you to be able to pull maybe the best offensive lineman in the country, that is quite a coup for Jeremy Pruitt. And that proves what I think we have known, which is this dude knows how to recruit. So the big, right, and I agree with you, and also you tack on the number three in one day. So you're looking yeah. at it and you're like, wow, okay, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. Here's the biggest thing that I think is going to happen over the next two or three years that Tennessee fans have unfortunately, it's been missing. He's going to develop these players. He's got coaches on this staff that are going to be able to develop these young men into big-time football players, and I'm talking about, like, like you mentioned it, Warmax from Alabama, players, you know, Mike Johnson's, players like that that, you know, are big in stature, they're athletic, they can get around, and that's exactly what Jeremy's going to try to do with the guys that he's brought in now. And, and, and I think it's going to go a long way when it comes to continuing to build upon this success when it comes to recruiting offensive linemen because the best, the best recruiters that you're going to have on your team are the ones that are already there, and those are the players. And they go out and they talk to other players that are thinking about coming, and they can build an offensive line that's stable in the SEC that you know you can go out there and dominate with. Look, the biggest thing to me that stands out in all of this is that we've seen Jeremy Pruitt over the last 12 months be able to develop players that maybe we didn't think would be that good. You know, look what he did with – we knew that Bryce Thompson and Alante Taylor and players like that were good, but he turned them into to SEC stars, and they're only just starting. They're just freshmen. So, you know, what he's going to be able to do, I think it, it speaks volumes to the players that he's brought in. And you kind of mentioned it. These aren't just, just big guys. These are athletic, grown men that he's brought in for this line, and it's only going to benefit 
whoever is back there taking snaps and also whoever's back there lining up besides the quarterback that's going to be running the football. So overall, great recruiting class for Tennessee. When it started out this morning, you know, they, they didn't know. You know, with Darnell, everybody kind of figured that point, but, you know, they, they didn't expect the Henry Tahua Toa. Uh, thank you, thank you for that. Me. I've got. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I got Tua Tongo Vailoa down. I got some of this down, I'm but sorry. I wasn't even going to mention that dude's name. I'm not ready for that. I'm just going to say Henry Toe, and <laughs> I'm just going to run with that and see how it plays out. But, but just you know, it, it just shows you what Niedermeyer, Brian Niedermeyer, does for this staff. He, right now, he's sitting at the number one recruiter in the country, and, and that's at the University of Tennessee, coming off a five and seven year. So. That right there speaks volumes for what they're doing in Knoxville. We got Trey Wallace with us, host of It's Optional down in Knoxville. Show you should uh, check out maybe on SoundCloud when you get a chance. He's on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore. When we come back, I'm going to talk to Trey a little bit about the fight in Rick Barnes and Tennessee basketball. It's exciting, and I'm starting to wonder why not this year? Why can't this team do it? So we'll we'll break down hoops when we come back. Trey Wallace continues next here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Thank you for being part of my audience tonight. The Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. It's been raining almost all day. It's been sort of obnoxious, quite frankly. But hopefully I'm making your drive home or your commute or whatever it is that you might be maybe a little bit less obnoxious. As we roll along here with the Big Six, I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. Sports Fest coming up. 10th annual Sports Fest Nissan Stadium featuring the Music City Blitz this year. Saturday, March the 30th, 9 to 4. Again, at Nissan Stadium. First time ever. Absolutely free this year. As good an interactive family experience as you can find in the Music City, especially if you're a sports fan. Bring your kids and this year, again, Music City Blitz, if you don't know, it's a five-on-five flag football tournament that's going to benefit Special Olympics Tennessee. MusicCityBlitz.com. Go there. You can register your team. SportsFest Speaker Series is going to be back this year. All the teams around Middle Tennessee represented. Vendor booths, concessions, fun interactives, and great inflatables for your kids that can tire them out so that you'll have a great night once they want to fall asleep around 7 o'clock. They'll say they don't, and then they'll pass right on out. And then... And it's written here in front of me, and this is a good way to put it. Have your family come meet our family and our families because we will all be out there, and we love getting together with all you guys. Maybe Trey will be able to join us. Trey Wallace is with me. We talked a lot of Vols football with National Signing Day, and especially Darnell Wright, the white whale. He is headed to Knoxville, best offensive lineman in the country, sorely needed, and Jeremy Pruitt needed it. But let's talk a little bit of hoops. The Vols win again last night. They beat Missouri by 12, 72 to 60, and it wasn't even deemed to be that impressive a win, and they got it done. This is a one-loss basketball team. Trey Wallace back in with me here at Trey Wallace underscore. You should be following him. I, I asked you the last time you came on, and I addressed it a little bit. I'm going to address it more in the coming segments tonight, but I'm starting to really buy into the team. They beat Missouri by 12. My buddy Chad Withrow last night tweeted out, the state of this program is they beat Missouri by 12, and it just felt like a lackluster performance. But they still yeah. won by 12. That's how good this basketball team is. We've seen some you know, slumps from Admiral Schofield. We saw the Grant Williams heroics against Vanderbilt. But they're getting through all of these games. They're getting through in a tough SEC 
Kentucky looms. And obviously you have to get by Florida first. Kentucky's playing exceptional basketball right now. I think we're all looking towards the matchup in Lexington, the matchup in Knoxville. I'm hopefully going to be there for as well. But this team, I'm starting to I'm starting to find reasons to think, why not this year? Why can't they win the national championship? History is only history and it's only relevant until it's not. I know Rick Barnes has not won a national championship, and I continually point that out, but He's also never had a team this deep that does this many things well and picks each other up when one guy doesn't show up. No, I agree with you, and I'll, and I'll start off with this. Tennessee has seven players on their roster that could start any day of the week. Yeah. And those seven players, I think they could go up against anybody in the country. The way that they were – so when Lamonte Turner was coming back from injury, you know, he was coming off the bench for the first couple of games. And then it started to click with Lamonte, and he started figuring out his shot again, and he got over his, you know, his shoulder injury, which, which is tough. You lose your shot, you start freaking out a little bit mentally. Uh, but he got it back. And in the way that he's been able to put, get into the starting lineup and then have Ponds come off the bench along with Bowden. Look, this, this Tennessee basketball team is deep. You've got guys like Fulkerson, and even Derek Walker that could put in minutes for you defensively. They're not going to line it up offensively, but they can go in there. They can take the charge. They can get a block every now and then. They can be down the post. It's a it's a team that it's not surprising to me, but it's also surprising looking at it. You see Tennessee with that number one beside it. But then you really take a deep dive at it, and you're like, wow, okay, these aren't – all these guys aren't five stars. You know, this is a team that is built upon – you know, the togetherness, the way that they have they've been together for the last three to four years, the toughness that this team grinds with, it, it, they're led by Admiral and Grant. But I tell you, you listen to you listen to Coach Barnes's uh, press conference after the A and M game, and all he talks about is is Bone taking over in the huddles during the last seven minutes of the game. You have so many leaders on this team, and, and I know it gets talked about a lot that okay, this team is so close, and that's why they're playing so good together. No, this team knows when to call each other out, and they also know when, okay, if you're going to have a bad night, I'm going to step up for you and take it from here. I mean, look at, you know, when Grant had 40 that night, you know, when Admiral had himself, it was kind of a lackluster performance. That's because they're taking up for one another. And I think this basketball team, I I understand where, like what Withrow said last night about the lackluster you know, type performance. I get that. And here's the thing. You want to be able to say something like that yeah. if you're a Tennessee basketball fan because you're like, okay, that was a, that was an interesting game. Now we kind of knew that it would be that type of game because that's how Missouri and Conzo Martin plays. They're going to play you, play you in the 50s. You know, if you get to the 60s, by God, that's a miracle. But the fact that, that Tennessee comes out on top again where, you know, they're, they're, at one point they were leading by two, then all of a sudden it gets right back up to 12, and you're like, okay, the, the, the thing that, that really just shocks me about this team, they don't blink an eye. Like, if, even if they have a 13-point lead or even a 19-point lead like they had at A&M, and then the Aggies come back and cut it within three points, you're like, okay, all right, let's go back and play our game. We're good. And then they're back up by 13 in a span of a minute and a half. So they're so deep. They're so good. I do expect – probably two losses in the SEC mm-hmm. because I think the back half of their schedule is pretty tough. You know, you have Kentucky, you've got LSU, you know, you've got Florida coming up this weekend. I don't think that's going to be uh, too big of an obstacle for Tennessee, but there are some games on the schedule 
that you're like, okay, scratch head a little bit. Let's figure out what could go on here. So if they, you know, if they can split with Kentucky over the next three and a half weeks, that's, that's a great, that's a great accomplishment because that game at Rupp is going to be absolutely bonkers and Kentucky's coming along good here. But the, I think the long run and way this team is built, Rick Barnes, they've, they've, they've not bought into their own hype. They just know they're good and they know that when they play together, nobody can beat them. And if they do slip up, hey, they slip up, whatever. It is what it is, and you move on. But this team right here, they're built for an SEC tournament championship, and they're also built for a big-time run in March, and that's the best thing that you can ask for them. And especially you can tell with the way Rick is trying to get his bench more involved in the game, you can tell that he's trying to get himself set up now for that the second half of the SEC season leading into tournament in Nashville and then March Madness. Trey, I know you finally saw a star is born, which I told you a while back to me should be best oh, picture. I don't so think good. that it's I, yeah, I don't think that it's going to be, unfortunately, but I, it was the best thing I saw uh, last year. I was lucky Dude. enough to see it with Bradley Cooper in the theater uh, doing a Q&A afterwards, and it was absolutely incredible. It looks like Rick Barnes has some stars that have been born down in Knoxville. It is so much fun to watch these guys. We'll, we'll talk about the movie and some other things the next time I have you on, but you need to get some lemon tea. You need to get some honey. Yeah. You need to find your pillow. You need to get over this strep yeah. throat thing because it's no good, man. There's too much fun stuff happening in sports right now. I'm telling you, man, just got to get ready. Get ready for Saturday's game uh, versus uh, Florida. And uh, I tell you, this Tennessee basketball team sure has a lot of Sam Elliott in it. So uh, watch out for them. Watch out for them when it comes to award season late March. Trey, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Feel better. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate you having me on. That is Trey Wallace. It's optional down in Knoxville. Great show. You can find it on SoundCloud and follow Trey at Trey Wallace underscore. You should. It's worth your time. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment tonight, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Be careful out there. Flash flood warning till 8 p.m. Like I said off the top, animals are moving two by two. Interestingly enough, Ryan Adams' halo playing us back. My thanks to Trey Wallace, my good friend. Hopefully he's feeling better pretty soon. But he did that with strep throat. Really appreciate it. So this is a little bit of a heavy topic. Art Bryles is not going to be the offensive coordinator at the University of Southern Mississippi. And it's really how Bryles handled things when it exploded at Baylor that this continues to be such a problem for him. Now, we know the story, but all I really need to say is this. Under Art Browse's leadership as the head coach of Baylor, 31 football players were accused of 52 separate acts of sexual assault against women on campus. I could just sit silently for the next 10 minutes and we could wait for the next thing that starts on this radio station. I'm going to say it again. 31 football players accused of 52 separate acts of sexual assault against women on campus. According to the Pepper Hamilton report, and this gets back to the biggest issue I still have with Bryles, he and his staff helped in the cover-up. They discouraged Title IX reporting. They discouraged Title IX action. And they did their best not to even penalize players for these behaviors. This directly from the Houston Chronicle, quote, Bryles and his staff met with victims and their families and didn't go through proper channels to report the acts, unquote. Art Bryles, folks, fell prey to what it means to be a top-level college football coach in America. He got caught up in his own power, his own pride, 
his own brand, his own stature, his own height. And in the process, he prioritized winning football games in the Big 12 over the safety of female students on his campus. He was responsible for a culture so toxic. It would be accurate for me not to just call it toxic, but to actually say the Baylor football program managed to terrorize co-eds at times at that university. It's always said that the cover-up is worse than the crime, and that actually might still manage to be true in this case for Art Bryles, which makes it such a red flag that I have no idea if I could give this dude a second chance. If I'm making a decision for a university, as Southern Miss considered and ultimately because of the backlash and outcry decided against, how in the world can I sell anybody on the idea that I'm going to bring in a guy that did not encourage sexual assault, but at the very least attempted not to know about it, and when he found out about it, his reaction was less, get the hell off my football team, son, and more, these aren't the droids you're looking for. And let's not forget, Art Bryles was interviewing to be the OC at Southern Miss, not even head coach. And it took mere hours for enough outcry against that idea to derail that candidacy almost immediately. And the statement from Southern Miss's head coach, Hobson, really did make me stop for a second, but it didn't make me stop long enough to think that this is an idea that can happen. Here's that statement in case you haven't seen it. Quote, although I respect the decision of Dr. Rodney Bennett, I disagree with it. I am so grateful for the grace and forgiveness God gives me, which allows me to inherit his kingdom, which I do not deserve. I have interviewed R. Bryles for an assistant position at Southern Miss, and I believe he is a man who deserves a second chance. He is a man that seems sincere and humble in his interview, and personally, he committed no crime. He may not have acted in the proper protocol, but that would be my job at Southern Miss. He was interviewing for an assistant position, even though I believe he will be a head coach at a major program in the near future. However, I believe he is a man who does love the Lord and deserves a second chance. He has been banned from employment in college football for three years and has been punished. I understand both sides have opinions. This is just mine. Unquote. That from the Southern Miss head coach, Hobson. Now, guys, I'm, I'm torn a bit because I can't sit here and doubt that Art Bryles loves the Lord or that everyone deserves a second chance. However, I can forgive him without turning the keys back over to him to young, impressionable men. And that's the problem here. Let me keep that example alive. Alter it just a little bit. It is written that forgiveness should always be our reaction. 70 times, 7 times. But that does not mean that we have to continue to operate the same way after that. See, I can forgive you for wrecking my vehicle when I lend it to you. I can do that. I should do that. I can tell you, look, it's okay. Mistakes happen. We can get past this. All of us are undeserving of grace, and because we have access to it, we've got to offer it to our neighbor. So I forgive you for destroying my car. But that does not mean I have to let you drive it again. This is far worse than crashing a car. This is facilitating an environment where when at all costs, trump the security of students at Baylor. This from an article a couple of years ago at USA Today. When Art Browse recruited Sam Ukwuachu to Baylor University, he turned every female on campus into a potential victim. 
when Brow Superior signed off on bringing the talented defensive end to Waco, they tacitly approved of putting students in harm's way. It was all right there in the most basic of investigations into this man's exit from Boise State when he was dismissed from the program in May of 2013 because he attacked his girlfriend. Despite the clear warning signs of violent behavior, Baylor brought Ukwuachu into their community because, by golly, he sure could help the pass rush. Five months later, all that had really changed about Ukwuachu's tendencies was the venue. On Thursday in a district court in Waco, he was found guilty of sexually assaulting a former Baylor women's soccer player who was 18 and in her first semester of college in October 2013 when the big shot football transfer twice her size attacked her. Maybe if she had been warned that the Baylor football player in her tutoring sessions once became so crazed during a domestic dispute at Boise that he broke a window, she wouldn't have even been in position to be in his apartment that night. Maybe if Bryles, athletics director Ian McCall, and school president Ken Starr had looked at his background and realized Ukwuachu didn't belong at Baylor, she wouldn't have had to go get a rape kit the next morning. That from USA Today a few years ago. If he coaches again, NFL only, because those are pros. Those are professional men who have to take responsibility for every one of their actions. They're grown men. They're adults. Art Browse would have nowhere near the control he does on a college campus in the pro game. And I'm not even sure he should get that job. But I could get there a lot quicker than college. So that statement that I just read from Hobson, look, I forgive Art Browse. I really, really do. Because that's what we're supposed to do. Forgiving means canceling a debt because he can never repay me back. He can't ever really repay any of what he facilitated down at Baylor. You can't pay that back. So I canceled the debt because he's not going to be able to pay it off anyway. Okay, I continue on with my life. But you're not driving my car ever again. What he did, you just don't come back from. Kendall Browse's son's been hired three times. He's a Houston and... There have been questions about that. But Art Bryles was a man in charge. And to this day, he really hasn't taken full responsibility for what happened on that campus under his tenure. I want you to remember the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL, the Canadian Football League, tried to bring him in in 2017. And there was so much backlash that after he was hired, they had to rescind that hire within 24 hours of offering it to him. This dude is toxic to a completely different degree. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve some kind of second chance, but I'm saying he does not ever, ever get the opportunity to coach college-aged kids. If you want to put him with adults, that's on you. I don't think you could pull that off from a PR perspective either, but you can't put him out there with college-aged kids that are still impressionable, that are still learning what life is all about. Because if you put that guy on a campus, I can't send my daughter there. And I don't want to send my son there. So unfortunately for Southern Miss and Hobson, you're just going to have to find some other way to score a whole lot of points. Because Art Bryles, that's a no-go. I'm sure there'll be more on this tomorrow on all the shows. Remember, Sports Fest is coming up Saturday, March the 30th. Get excited. We're going to have a blast out there. I know that got a little heavy in the last segment, but I'm sorry. Again, I'm going to read it. I want to make you smarter on the way out, and I'm not even going to play the stat music to do this. Under Art Brow's leadership as a head coach of Baylor University, 31 football players accused of 52 separate acts of sexual assault against women on campus. Southern Miss, 
You should have known better. You should have known better. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.